0: Looking forward to talking to you here, you and John, for the next uh, half hour, 45 minutes and about my experiences with Desert Storm and the things that have happened to me uh, since the war.
1: You know what? I like your attitude. Damn, John, why can't you have that attitude?
2: Because <laughs> I got all kinds of shit going on. I'm just...
1: <laughs> Well, today is December the 7th is Pearl Harbor Day. You know, the greatest generation. You know, we give them thanks, you know, for what we have and for what they went through, and I I couldn't imagine. So I'm going to send out, you you know, my thanks to the families and all that who have, you you know, suffered. I mean, terrible. Pearl Harbor was terrible. With that being said, December the 9th is a very important day, everybody. John (laughs) and Wade are going to be wearing bright pink lipstick when the Navy kicks the shit out of the Army. (laughs) Even though we're favored to lose, even though we're favored to lose, I got faith that uh, Marines, any of you guys that are playing football, y'all need to step up because I need y'all's help. Because if I lose, (laughs) I will wear that Navy uniform, that that little thing I wore whenever I met with you, I will shave yeah. my goatee, and I will wear the brightest thing of lipstick. That's how much faith I have in my Navy and Marine boys. <laughs> All right? Okay. So well, You
0: got a lot of faith, and you're taking a big chance. So, <laughs> hey, I'm uh, thinking. It's going to be interesting <laughs> how this pans out.
1: Come on, <laughs> Billy. You're supposed to be on my side, man.
0: Well, when it comes to Army-Navy football, I have to follow in with uh, John there and cheer for the Army since I was a member of the U.S. Army for a few years myself.
1: Uh, That's a good point. I guess I can't argue that. So uh, we're going to get right into it now. Billy, I would like for you to – let's start talking about your story.
0: Okay. Well, I'm originally from Texas, like you said, uh, from Huntsville, which is a small town town. Uh, Probably about an hour north of Houston, just to kind of familiarize uh, the listeners out there where exactly it's at. Um, I graduated high school in 1986 and decided to go to college for a little while. That didn't work out. Um, Soon afterwards, I got a call from my Army recruiter, and you guys know how that goes. Mm. Um, A few months later, I was in the debt program, delayed entry program. For those that doesn't know what that, sometimes I'm assuming that everybody knows what these acronyms mean. So if you're not clear, I don't
1: even know what that means.
0: DEP, well, delayed entry program. Okay, so I was on delayed entry, and of course, uh, just like I think, just about everybody who was on delayed entry, uh, like a week after you sign up, you end up beating you know, a hot girl and you're like, oh, man, was this army thing was (laughs) this this might have been a bad idea, you know. So, of course, that happened to me. uh, But uh, remarkably, no, we are still Facebook friends to this very, very day. Um, So I left for boot camp in January of 1988. I went to uh, basic training in AIT at Fort Bliss, El Paso. Um, Shortly upon graduating there, I went to jump school at Fort Benning, Georgia. Um, my MO let me back up a little bit my MOS was 16 hotel which is not a very common MOS uh, you know the air defense branch of the army is kind of like the bastard branch it's kind of a small branch uh, you know it's not like infantry or field artillery or or armor you know those are the big branches of the army because they do you know, the majority of the fighting but uh, air defense artillery was a, is a combat branch um, so what I did uh, I was basically I was just a driver, you know, for, for lack of a better word. I worked in the S3 shop there uh, when I was assigned to my battalion. So I got to Germany in May of 1988. Uh, I was uh, stationed there at 63 ADA, 1st uh, Armored Division in a city just about 15 or 20 minutes by a train southwest of Nuremberg, Germany. Uh, so at that time, uh, I'm sure people are familiar, this was during the, the Cold War was still, still going on in those days. Uh, the U.S. Army presence in Germany was massive. Uh, probably 450,000 troops were just in Germany alone, which is the, probably the size of the entire army now. If, not, if it's not, it's, it could be even smaller than that. So there was a massive U.S. Army footprint a uh, presence in Germany in those days um so shortly after i arrived i was assigned to work in the the operations section of the battalion uh and we like uh Mm -hmm. we had a school's nco we did all the the training plans um and just various tasks you know when i got there as a private i was assigned to the s3 ncyc who's the noncommissioned officer in charge and i basically worked for him so any little tasks that a private he needed done he would tell me hey mcpike go over to wherever and get this for me and bring it back. You know, Or McPike, hey, get a vehicle dispatch or McPike. We have a Hummer that needs work on it. Take it to the, the motor pool and make sure this gets done. Uh, that's pretty much what I did um, while I was you know, there as a, a private. And then later on, of course, Desert Storm or Desert Shield first broke out, but that was later on down the road. So um, you know, I enjoyed my time in Germany. I met a lot of very interesting people there. I uh, did a lot of sightseeing. I was the type of person that in those days, you know, especially as a lower EM, it was uh, it took almost two months salary to pay for a plane ticket to fly back to the States. <laughs> uh, I remember a plane ticket was about a thousand bucks. And as a as like Damn. a private E2, you you I was only making about 400 a month back <laughs> in 1988. <laughs> I still got all of my I saved all my LESs. I still have all of them. And every okay, once in a while, I'll dig them out and look at them and just think wow you know uh things have changed a lot yeah. but, <laughs> <Love> <laughs> am i the only one that does that am i the only one that saved all my old LES? i, I have a few
1: of them i look at them and cry
0: Hey, you look at them and cry so LES, we're talking about acronym
2: leave and earning statement um so i mean i thoroughly enjoyed the vast majority of my time and you know when i was in germany i explained to you that i was in Karlsruhe, i was in hanau and i was in wow Flicking, and uh you say you were just north of uh, Nuremberg. So Nuremberg, you know, I know we're going to talk about other things, but Nuremberg, did you ever, I got to ask, Billy, did you ever go to the major concert there at
0: Rock and Ring? Did
2: yes, I did. That?
0: Uh, that oh. was, I, we had the Monsters of Rock one year. I think it might have been my first year I was there. They had Monsters of Rock. Um, that was a great show. I did go to that. But, you know, they uh, Nuremberg was kind of a hotbed of, of, of music. You know, not just rock, but uh, there were pop singers, country stars came there. So uh, there was actually yeah. a lot to do uh, in in, the, in and around Nuremberg itself. So I, I really got lucky compared to some other uh, people who may have gotten stationed a little further. But one of the things that people don't realize is that in Germany, you can't really get too far away from a city because it's a relatively small country. Right. I mean, so yep. you can't get really too far out and kind of, you know, CONUS Army, which stands for Continental U.S. Army, you could get stationed at some, some far-off post is, really is a long ways from a big city and be kind of stuck there with a, not a lot to do. But luckily for me, uh, Nuremberg was, like I said, a, a, had, there's a lot of entertainment there, a lot of fun things to do. Uh, and, you know, my experience with the locals there was actually pretty positive. Now, occasionally, you'd have a run-in with a a drunk at a bar who wanted to pick a fight with somebody. Or whatever. You know, that, that could happen anywhere. Uh, right. But overall, I had a very pleasant experience uh, in Germany. Most of the Germans that I met and I was on good terms with were pretty friendly and very cordial. Uh, so yeah. I really did enjoy my time there. I had a great time as well. So when when were
2: you deployed to the Gulf? Uh, then, Billy? But It didn't sound
1: so, like uh, y'all did shit after what I just heard. I'm sorry. Hold on.
2: Y'all over here, Oh, we want to tell you
1: all these, you know, rock stars, ghost stars. What the heck y'all do in Germany?
0: Well, I'll tell you, Kevin, and I, and John can kind of verify this. You know, if you were in a, a combat field type unit, you know, 1st Armored Division was a, a combat armored division. Uh, we did multiple field ops. Every year, Uh, we went to the gun, went to the uh, range twice a year. Twice a year. We went to a training, a a maneuver training twice a year. (laughs) Uh, We went to a wild flicking at least once a year. Uh, We went to local training areas at least once a month for like a weekend or four or five day operation out there. So you know, in, in a one-year time span, it wasn't unusual to spend six months out, you know, away from the oh, barracks.
1: Oh, yeah, six months out of the year. Of course, I'm a guy. I
0: realized that in the Navy, you guys think roughing it's uh, sleeping on <laughs> uh, a bunk instead of a, a mattress. But, 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 hey, but, hey, I've worked, he, I've worked
1: he, all 12 months. I didn't work six he, months he's out he's the talking. year.
0: Now, hold
2: on. Now, Kevin... Kevin's sitting there talking shit like we didn't do much. But what he's not telling you is that while he was in the Navy, we were wearing this thing <laughs> in the war, Desert Shield, Desert Storm. What he's not telling you is that while he was there, he had the opportunity to go on shore and go out and go to these clubs and go to have a I did, whoa, 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 time out. We rode we camels.
1: We rode camels. I mean, that is not going to a club. It's not like mm. I said, hey, camel, you want to dance? I mean, you I make mean, it sound like
2: we didn't do shit. We go to the field. I, I didn't
1: make it sound like, like
2: it. Engineer. We y'all, build shit. We blow up
1: shit. Y'all made it sound like that. Y'all didn't do shit with that conversation about did you go to the music <laughs> bar? Did you go to the? Well, I, I, I'm, that, I'm just saying.
0: If that's the impression you got, I actually I think that's good. But in reality, <laughs> John knows that there was a lot. There's a lot more going on than just good times while we were there. Uh, yeah, I mean, actually, you know.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, sounds yeah. like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are so, y'all gonna do this weekend? Are we gonna hit the barracks after the barracks? We are gonna go on on down here watch well, us a little if, bit. If we or, weren't
0: out in the field doing some type of training, then and we were at home and we were back at home station, either in the barracks or live if you lived on the economy. Uh yeah, on the weekends oh. we went out and had a good time. I mean that's, that's was, good. That though. Was pretty normal.
1: That's good. And, and and you should. I mean, everybody should enjoy their military time. I I worked all the time. I didn't have all that time to
2: have Oh that you were. So so you know bullshit. what I mean. It was you just... work my ass. <laughs> you work, you work uh, hard uh, getting on off the ship when you're drunk.
1: All <laughs> right. So during Desert Shield Desert Storm, Billy, I'll get chase the subject now before I get <laughs> okay. my ass chewed. Um uh, during Desert Shield Desert Storm uh, like, What was it like for you there?
0: Well, in the run up to the war was a little bit different, I think, because I was in Germany already compared to a lot of people's experiences. So, you know, like everybody else, when 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 Iraq invaded Kuwait, you know, most of us there really didn't know too much about the inner workings or the whole situation. We knew that Iraq had been involved in a war with Iran Uh, A few years previously, but we didn't, you know, there wasn't a lot of information flowing uh, out uh, about what exactly was going on and why there was an invasion. So uh, being in Germany was a little bit different. Uh, I remember, you know, when the invasion happened, obviously within a few days, you know, we had AFN over there, Armed Forces Network, which I'm sure John recalls. So, But that was the only news outlet we really had unless you spoke German and could watch the local channels. And I I didn't pick up enough German to be able to do that. So when uh, all the units started going from the States, like the 82nd and the 101st, I think 24th Mechanized, those were probably the first three big, huge deployments that went over there initially. And, And there's a few more that I'm sure I'm forgetting about, but those are the ones I remember And those are the ones that took the shortest amount of time because those were light units. They, you know, they weren't heavy armored uh, divisions. So they went pretty quickly um, and they were there for several months. And we really didn't know what was going to happen at that time. Uh, Within like a week or so, the Army came out with what's called a stop loss policy. And I'm sure John knows what I'm talking about. And maybe, Kevin, I don't know if they did that in the Navy either, but within just a week or so, of uh the invasion the army basically came out and said nobody's going to retire nobody's going to ets nobody's going to pcs you know people had orders to leave germany leave our home station and 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 transfer to another stateside unit well all that got stopped and it really kind of sucked for a lot of guys because a lot of guys were there, accompanied with their wife and kids and their wife and kids had already left and they flew back stateside and they thought their husband or their father was going to fly in a week or two later. Well, that didn't happen. So that really ruffled a lot of feathers and made, and, you know, really upset a lot of people. And there was a lot of guys who who were planning on getting out, you know, uh, August, September, October, who were going to get out and had well, all those plans got, you know, got put on, um, got get quashed until this was going to be over with. So that was a little bit unusual. Um And then finally, I do recall, I don't remember the exact date. I think it was sometime in early November. There was going to be a, uh, we kind of heard there was going to be a press conference with the president who was going to make a major announcement about Desert Shield at that time. Um, And we were all very curious. And like I said, like John knows, we had AFN. So we all tuned in. And this was like about nine or 10 o'clock at night because it was a two o'clock briefing at, at the White House. So the president came on and said that, You know, the initial uh, deployments had been successful and that this and that. But uh, however, there was the need for more troops to be deployed. Uh, And so therefore, a major announcement would follow with Dick Cheney, who is the Department of Secretary of Defense, Mm -hmm. and with Colin Powell, who was the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, would, would follow on and actually describe in a little more detail what was going to happen. So whenever the president went off, Just a few minutes later, they had another press conference with with Secretary Cheney and General Powell, and they actually said, uh, I believe it was 1st and 3rd Armored Divisions from Germany would be deploying with 7th Corps and some other units here and there. But, of course, I was in 1st Armored Division, so we found out right then and there that, hey, we were going to deploy. So our experience is a little bit different from people who who were stateside.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, our experience was as we were in Japan, all of a sudden we steamed back to Guam, loaded up a crew. Well, I mean, we were just loading up cargo after cargo after cargo. And we're like, what the hell is going on? Well, then we... I
2: can't imagine. I bet you guys were like crazy busy. Well, yeah, we we, we
1: didn't even know. We didn't have a clue what what was going on. We just said we're steaming to the Middle East. We got out there and uh, I just remember the command officer saying, don't tell your family where you're going. Just tell them you know pretty much like watch the news and i'm just like well what the hell does that mean i still you know and then i figured it out it wasn't hard it was like you know burning oil wells everywhere you kind of
2: figure out what was about to happen
1: out there did you
2: so billy when you were when you were uh, deployed there on your did you return when you when you so a couple questions when you left there did you return back to germany
0: Yes, after uh desert storm was over, uh, we got back to home station uh probably in the first or second week of June. Yeah, you know, my memory's kind of fuzzy now. It's been a long time ago. Okay. But we we went we, de- we deployed from uh, KKMC which was King Khalid yeah. Military King- City, which yeah, which is like a yeah. huge military installation in the middle of Saudi Arabia. So we flew yeah. from there back to i think we flew to rome italy and then from rome italy back to nuremberg and i want to tell you it was really when we flew from uh kkmc uh it was on i don't remember uh what airline you know they were chartering airlines maybe pan am right. or something back in those days but anyhow <laughs> we we came in to land in rome and i tell you we had a rough ass landing we landed so hard that half the oxygen mass Bell that came out oh my god wow oh, hell, hell the, no overhead overhead bins went flying and people's you know stuff went flying so we were thinking wow we just survived a war and we almost died on a plane crash yeah. flying into rome italy that was that was quite an abrupt landing put it that way god see that's that, crazy
1: man i mean that to, to me no i'll never get back on another damn airplane after that no 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 no, 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 no. i mean i have what uh, well, well, just real quick. Jeremy's watching. So Jeremy's like, that ain't no rough damn landing. Because <laughs> remember their story, they <laughs> damn crashed. I was like, you got to be kidding me. But yeah, um, that
0: was that was quite the eye opener. And we, we were all looking around each other saying, what the hell was that all about? Was the pilot drunk or what was What was, the, what was <laughs> right? going on? You know, but uh, luckily, we everybody survived. And we were. Okay. Did they give but you drinks kind of, on uh,
1: airplane? Did they give you drinks on the airplane?
0: No, I don't recall that. What I, kind I don't of think they, I don't, food barn messed up stuff is that? Well, I, that's just how they. That's just how the army was. No uh, alcohol. If you, there was so, any alcohol on the plane, I, I don't remember it. Put it that way. I, but I do remember the okay. very, uh, very rough landing. That I do
2: recall. <laughs> so, so you were with the with air defense. So, did you uh, did you guys move around quite a bit while you were in theater, Billy? Yes, year?
0: we were. We were uh, part of the. Uh, group that crossed the, you know, the border out west of Kuwait uh, with 7th Corps, and we kind of made that what colon, uh what General Schwarzkopf referred to as the left hook, if you remember. Uh, yeah. So we drove uh, our, our entire division, including our battalion headquarters, which is where I was assigned, moved directly north, and then we kind of turned back towards the uh, southeast, and encountered the Republican Guard. They're right at the Kuwaiti uh, Iraqi border as they were trying to escape from uh, Kuwait. So there oh, was wow. a, a, quite a few tank, uh, huge, massive tank battles. Um, and of course, like you said, the uh, oil wells were set on fire. There was a, there was a whole. I mean, I could probably talk for hours about so, what I can remember. So,
2: so if you were part of the headquarters, a headquarters detachment. So, a curiosity question. So. You're, I'm sure you understand what an M8 alarm is, you know, chemical yeah. detection oh, alarm. Yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> so I'm sure humor us a little bit because we've had some other people that were maybe with uh, General uh, Powell or, or, or General Schwarzkopf or whatnot. I'm curious, you know, being in artillery division and being part of headquarters, what kind of reports did you guys get? when they? Did, how did they acknowledge or disacknowledge the chemicals?
0: Well, here's what I, I can recall. Uh, as far as the, during the actual ground war, I don't remember any information about chemical warfare or M8 alarms or anything like that. However, uh, kind of going back to what you just mentioned, we were actually, uh, well, we landed at uh, the port of Al-Jubal, which I think Kevin's familiar with. yes. So we we landed there, we flew in. Uh we arrived, we flew between Christmas and New Year's Eve, probably like the 27th or 28th December. We landed. Uh, they took us to a place called the Dew Drop Inn, which is a massive tent city. Which oh, okay. uh, Dew Drop Inn, I think that's from the Waltons or something. I don't remember where that. Where <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. I think you're uh, right. Think, okay, yeah. so we were at the Dewdrop, which is a huge, massive tent city. I mean, there were hundreds, if not maybe even thousands of tents that had GIs just crammed in them from like, you know, elbow to asshole, basically. Um, kind of waiting for our vehicles to offload because one of the things the Army overestimated was that how quickly they could get these ships in and get all the equipment offloaded. So a lot of the ships just couldn't get in because they didn't realize all this. It was just It was just taking time, you know. And there was a, I know for one, uh, for sure that one of the huge roll-on, roll-off type ships apparently left Bremerhaven, Germany, and I think a boiler went bad or something. They had engine troubles. They had to turn around and go back and get some repairs, and that took an extra four or five days. And so oh. a lot of the, the equipment just took a lot longer than they thought to actually physically arrive there in Saudi Arabia. I'm sorry. But while we were there, we were we were there for about three weeks. Well, the deadline, if you guys remember, I'm sure you do. The deadline was January 15th for Saddam to leave Kuwait or there was going to be hostilities. Uh, So January 15th kind of came and went. And of course, the very next night is when the hostilities broke out. And that's when the first uh, air attacks from the coalition side went into uh, Iraq and began bombing targets and you know we saw later well of course we didn't see it because we were there but i mean you've all seen the videos now of what happened uh but it was several days after that where and it might have been the very next. i'd have to go back and look exactly when it happened but while we were there at the dew drop in uh one night we had a missile attack several scuds were fired at the port of al-jubal and at the dew drop in because they knew there was thousands of gi and we were unprotected we had no overhead cover or anything, you know? So it was a ripe target. Um, so several scuds were fired in that area and they landed and exploded and multiple M8 alarms were going off, just like John said. Um, but so- That's crazy. I, definitely, I can recall at like two o'clock in the morning being in a tent and our first sergeant come running in with, with MOP-4, okay? And I know, I know John knows what MOP-4 is, but he had full gas mask and full suit on, okay? Uh, chemical suit and came in our tent screaming and yelling. Hey, get into mop four and get because there was a dispersal area that we had. He said, "Get in mop four, grab your weapon and get in the dispersal area. We're under attack, you know. Kimble, made alarms are going off as we as we speak, and they were." Uh, so we got up as, you know, you, you're amazed at how quickly you can get all your stuff on when you think you're going to lose your life. If you, yeah.
1: if you hold your <laughs> you're damn right,
0: if, if you don't, that's if you true. don't hold your breath long enough, you could die. I mean, so yeah you'd be surprised true. how quickly you can get all your stuff on. OK, grab your helmet and your M16 and run out to where you're supposed to, to, to go. So uh, there was there were inmate alarms that were going off, of course, later. The military said mm. that they were all bad alarms. Yeah, so mm. so
2: there, there's, there, and that's what I was kind of asking, that's... Billy. Did your command acknowledge the fact that those did indeed, but you just answered the question, answer it. So they just, they reneged on the fact that uh, they were false alarms. That's,
0: that's, that's correct. Yeah, was, they, they pretty much yeah. followed the, the army line that was, hey, these were all just happening. There were dozens of these alarms. Oh, yeah. Off, so, um, no, they pretty much towed the, the official army line. Nobody with any rank or authority that I was associated with there, or that I heard while listening to different you know division radio nets uh, networks, um, ever acknowledged that any chemical weapons had had been used, sure. or that any 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 coalition troops were possibly exposed to, to chemical uh, weapons. They told all of us
1: that army, navy, air force, and marines. That's just the craziest shit I've ever heard.
0: Yeah, Crazy. I think that's actually one of the few common, uh, you know, between all the branches of service, probably all have that in common that, you know, none of us, a, a lot of, there was a, there was obviously some exposure there, but all the, the official the official lines of all the branches of the military were that, hey, all the, the warning systems were all flawed, which, you
1: yeah, know, they there a
0: possibility that one or two were, were, were bad. Yeah, <laughs> right, but, but not all uh, of them. Not, not 30 oh. or 40 of them. You know, that doesn't how. make any sense.
1: So I, I want to fast forward a little bit. So are you having any problems from some of that stuff that you experienced out there? Like neurological, yeah, I have. I have what's going on?
0: A lot of the uh, classic Gulf war illness syndromes I, I've had for years. Um, I've had issues with headaches, migraines. I've had issues with uh, irritable bowels. Um, I've had issues with sore, achy joints, uh, PTSD, um, you know, uh, pretty much a laundry list of things that's kind of non nonspecific, um, and, and- but kind of point towards, uh, you know, exposure to something. And of course, we're not leaving out, you know, the exposure to the oil well smoke uh, and just right. other, you know, other things that we were doing. One, you know, one of the most dangerous things we did after, after the war was over was we, we had a mission to go and destroy all the old Iraqi military equipment. Do you, I don't know if any... Uh, so,
2: Oh, you what, guys had, you guys were request, required to do that?
0: That is correct. So Uh-oh, how we did okay, it so. was, and here, here's how we were told to do it. So <laughs> we would take jerry cans full of diesel, find an Iraqi, a whatever it was, an APC or a tank or a truck. It didn't really matter. We would just soak it with diesel, okay? We would back off maybe 100 meters and start firing at it with the M203 until it oh, lit geez. it off. And when it lit it off, really? you had to run and take cover because it would start burning and it would start exploding. So all See, the I would have had fun board. with that. The it was actually, kind of fun, is, actually. It was kind of fun, so but it was dangerous because there were a few times where yeah. shrapnel went flying overhead and we were way too close. For I that. still would have had outrageous.
1: fun with that, man. That's like pressing a button. You, you know, the one thing I, I will say, if somebody was going to mess it up on the ship, I was going to do it. I, I I broke more shit than anybody. But anyway, but I mean, I I mean, could I want to be? I want it to be in control. I, I mean, if I was going to be in the army, I want one of the trucks that has all the missiles on it. I wouldn't be like, what does that red button do? What does that green button do? What does that damn blue button do? What does that that do? <laughs> that, that's just me. But I I'd still we need to fast forward because we need to get into. Because since we live in the same area, you you probably go to the Conroe uh, uh, clinic, correct? At, at a Conroe, uh,
0: I, I've been there. I have, yes, sir. Okay,
1: but uh, I mean, to me, I, I, our VA system here is pretty good. I mean, decent. Com- I mean, way more decent than most that that I've heard. I,
0: I would agree with you, Kevin, wholeheartedly. Uh, I. You know, I've always been lucky enough to have, to have had insurance through my employer, you know, since pretty much since, the, I guess, the mid-90s. Uh, but I have been to the Conroe Clinic a few times, and I do know uh, other veterans who use the uh, clinic pretty exclusively for, like, pretty much everything. And I think for the most part, their experience has been pretty positive. And, and the couple of times that I've been up there and talked to everybody there and had to go see someone for something, there it was. I would say my experience here in this area was pretty positive. Now, um, I've been down to the Debakey Hospital a few times. And I, I I wouldn't say it was a positive experience. I, I wouldn't say it was the most horrible thing, but it wasn't. That hospital is a little depressing. I really don't like going down there. Uh, it, I'm it, sure you, have you been down there, Kevin?
1: I I, I have. My fact, I was just there. Uh, a couple weeks ago, and okay. but I, I like my doctors. I especially yeah. I, I love my kidney doctor and my ne- neurologist. I, I really okay. like my primary care. I like my gastro, my heart doctor. All of them. I, I like them all because I mean, they're now sitting down with me saying, "Let's talk about Desert Storm." I mean,
0: yeah,
1: and, and and so and to me, when a doctor starts doing that, you know they care. It's the ones that go well. I heard of it, but that's not what but, caused your problems. And, and, you know, I don't live in, you know, we don't live in Iowa where they have, you know, the, the finest care compared to us, which I still don't understand. Well, I, 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 I mean, I, we,
2: we have good, we, I, I think it varies across the country. I, knock on wood, I think we're very fortunate. You know, Texas and, and Iowa, I think um, for, the, for, for those that we've communicated with have had pretty success. Talking to their VAs because we obviously we, we understand over many podcasts that it isn't the same across the country and it should be. So Bill, I uh, Billy, and you don't have to reveal anything you don't want to. I'm just curious. Uh, you can just yes or no. Um, are you are I'm a, are you service connected? Then
0: yes, I am. Good.
2: Okay. And and, okay, and, and
1: rightfully so. The shit that we experience is a. Uh, I'm sorry, Mom. This. Uh, the snap that we experienced out there, <laughs> my mom warned me about, about my language, so I'm trying to try to hold back because I get angry at the, the, these issues make, make me angry because the stuff that we experienced, they're acknowledging, but they're not, not acknowledging. They're putting it out on paper. They're putting it on the, their website. Yes, y'all were exposed to this. Y'all were, you know, y'all came in contact with all this stuff but yet we're everybody's still fighting
0: to get something I don't get it it's just wrong it uh well Kevin i, I I've been in the system and you know like a lot of other vets I just didn't know you know right. whatever we, you know I was just busy with life you know whenever I got out of the military I started a career and I kind of started you know I got married and divorced a couple times in there and had some kids here and there and I kind of just, you know, my physical issues that I was having, I just kind of assumed it was just because I'm getting older and I'm an adult. Uh, hmm. But then later on, some things started kind of developing and I, I really wasn't sure. But, I, you know, I just didn't I just didn't take the time to kind of research what was going on. What? And uh, but eventually I did. And about three years ago, um, I really said, hey, you know what? I really need to start. So I went and visited. uh the local VSO uh, here with the DAV here in, in Conroe and he kind of opened the door for me to file a few claims and, and some of them have been uh, accepted and approved and some of them haven't. So I'm still kind of navigating the system. And, well, you know, you- I think a lot of veterans just, you know, they, they need to take the time to figure out, to come up with a good strategy as far as how to file their claims and don't, you can't really file them in a haphazard manner. You kind of have to think, about what are the best claims to file and then what what could I file secondary upon? Exactly, exactly. If if, if, if you strategize this thing correctly, yeah, it's going to take some time. I mean, I get it. But I I think most veterans would probably be successful if they kind of took the time and talked to a good BSO who could tell them, hey, look, um, here's what I think your best choices are. You know, let's start with this and because... And, and, and like I said, every situation is different and every individual is different. And, and so I
1: do want to I do want to work with you, though, uh, also on secondaries, primaries and all that sure. stuff, because, it, you know, I, I, I've I've oh, I've I navigated through my VSO. Correct. And, and my VSO is in Conroe and she's navigated. So she's been doing it. You know, I think I was one of her very first. Uh, client or helper? Uh-huh. Or, or, you know somebody who she helped. Yeah,
0: I, client's a good word for it.
1: Yeah, and I mean, so that's why I recommend uh having a, a good VSO officer. But the, the other thing is, is and and this is where we're gonna get into a little bit of the controversy, everybody. So don't be pissed at me. But I just want y'all to know, y'all can go look at the Washington Post, bring it up. Did Saddam have the right? To go into Kuwait. As and Al Jazeera. I've read several articles. About. How Kuwait funded. The Iraq and Iran war to Iraq. And. The way that I read it. And the way that Iraq. Was explaining it. To the news reporters. Was that this is their story. That. You know Kuwait inflated the the oil. Just started producing so much oil and getting oil produced that they couldn't pay the bill back to them. They were having a very hard time paying the bill back to them. But on top of that, there was also a story saying that Kuwait was stealing oil from Iraq. It, it, it's just so hard to know what is the truth these days. And, and I, I mean, for everybody sitting out there, you really got to think uh, you you know, I don't I I don't think anybody's right to go in. I, I think you should do it diplomat. You, you know, have some diplomacy and have all that. But if their claims was true, what 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 does that say? I mean, it, it, it to us it's an endless war. It, it's not going to stop. It's I mean the Gulf for the Middle East is an endless war in my eyes. I don't know about anybody else. That's just my, how I feel about it. I mean, what do you think, gentlemen, Army boys?
2: Go ahead, John. Well, I mean, the government tells us what they want us to hear. Um, and the various news organizations that want you to, tell, to, be, to watch, listen to, they do the same thing. I guess as an adult, you have to pick and choose what you believe is true to be true. I don't. Um, I've heard some things back and forth. I mean, as a military member, we do what we're told to do. Right. You know, that's the end of it, and you do your job to the best of your ability. And we all have our opinions, but when you're when you're active duty or you're just doing what you're told to do to the best of your ability, and you move forward. And after things are all said and done, in our case, we're Gulf War veterans um, and you may or may not notice things right away and um, don't necessarily dig into what happened back then, what started it. We weren't privy to the news, a lot of us. Like Billy said, we were an armed forces network. You know, we we would sit there and listen. Hey, from the United States, it's news <laughs> <and> in <it's news laughs> right. next, next. We didn't know what the hell was going on. We yeah, didn't,
1: we didn't even know we declared out. war until everything started happening. <laughs> and all of a sudden you're like, oh, we're at war. And we're just like, well, y'all could have told us like, y'all could have gave us like a, a five minute warning that we're about, yeah. we're about it, to go to war. But it, but they we, didn't. Have
2: no, we have no idea. Obviously the information is, 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 is much better today. I mean, everybody's walking around with basically a computer in their hand. You got a cell phone. Um, all the right. information that you're look it place. up
1: look it up that that's why i tell everybody so, look it up start finding out the truth do your homework on it and, and to me yeah. it, it's hearsay I, I mean i that's that's one side telling another side but I, I know we police the the world which i'm gonna get into that until the after the show show but uh, billy i'm gonna leave it to to, to you on what you want to say about this before we get off
0: well here's Kind of my take on that. There's probably something to be said about that article. I, I do know that, of course, back when everything happened, we didn't know. But I, in in the years since the war, there has been a lot of information that's been put out, and and some of it's probably there's some credible uh, information here. I, I wouldn't be so quick to just dismiss. I know a lot of people are automatically going to dismiss something from, like you said, Al Jazeera, but actually I, over the years i found Al Jazeera to be a pretty good source of information about anything coming out of the Middle East. Oh yeah. Uh, And even, and even when the war broke out in the Ukraine, I I think Al Jazeera is one of the first channels I looked at uh, on YouTube to find out what was going on. So I think they're actually a pretty good source of information. Uh, I do know that um, there were, like you said, And from 82 to 86, or or 88, rather, uh, we know that Iraq was involved in a very costly, bloody war with their neighbor Iran. Um, It is true that the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and the Kingdom of Kuwait and others uh, loaned Iraq billions upon billions and billions of dollars to fight the war because those countries felt that Iran was a threat because of the revolution, had ousted the government and and ran the Shah off into exile. And the Shah at that time was considered to be the most powerful ruler in the the region. He was the last person that that was thought to have ever going to leave power. So when he was overthrown, I think it scared a lot of the other kingdoms, you know, uh, that the same thing could happen to them. So whenever they went to war with Iraq, they were back in Iraq 100% hoping they would just crush Iran and, and put this revolutionary stuff to, to rest so they wouldn't have to worry about it in their own countries. So no crazy. they were fighting a proxy war against, you know, the Shia Muslim movement uh, with another country. Right. So that it, we all know that to be a fact. Well when the war ended, it pretty much ended in a stalemate. Neither country uh, could decisively defeat the other and there was finally a a, a peace that was Uh, A peace treaty that was signed. And basically, you know, neither side really gained anything except, uh, you know, lots of casualties, lots of dead uh, soldiers on both sides. Well, shortly after that. Like you said, um, Kuwait had a little bit of a a monetary uh, economic crisis because their stock market had crashed. Well, because of that, they felt like they had to overproduce. Uh, they were a member of OPEC, which OPEC stands for Oil Petroleum uh, Exporting Countries at that time. Now, OPEC, as a group, always tries to keep the price of oil inflated because it puts more money in their pockets. Well, mm-hmm. Kuwait was a member of that, and they were like, hey, our, our our local stock market here crashed, and we're in a little bit of economic crisis, so therefore, to, to raise some more uh, you know, liquid assets – We're going to kind of we're going to overproduce what we were uh, what we had agreed with OPEC to. So there is. And that's you can research that yourself. They began overproducing, uh, which drove the prices down. Now, the only way Iraq could pay back their debts to Saudi Arabia and Kuwait was through oil exports. But when your neighbor is overproducing and driving the oil price down, that makes it even harder to pay back these debts. Well, this was really upsetting Saddam because he felt like, hey, uh, I was, did you guys a favor. I fought a proxy war uh, and didn't gain anything out of it. And now you're, you know, you're, you're causing the only uh, natural resource that we really have that could uh, bring up some cash for us. You're causing the price to go down. So he invited the emir of Kuwait to Baghdad. I want to say in the summer of 90, I don't remember the exact dates and said, hey, I, you're, you're, you're doing this on purpose and it's making it more difficult. You need to stop. Um, he also made mention that they were doing the slant drilling and stealing Iraqi oil. Now, was that type of drilling possible in those days? Some people say it was. Some people say it wasn't. Right. Well, I'm not sure. I do. I do know that after the after the war, they redrew the border there between Iraq and Kuwait. And those were Mania oil fields that were Iraqi at that time or now belong to Kuwait. So do we really know? I mean, I don't know whether they did or yeah. didn't, but it just kind of makes you wonder whether it does it George d- H.W. Bush yeah. and that administration. What did they know all this before, you know, they sent a massive troop commitment and, and put the country on a war footing, you know? And, you know and,
1: I, and on top of that, I will say we have the greatest military in the world. We we are uh, I mean the greatest military in in the world. We have outstanding, outstanding allies that help us with everything, and and we should be grateful for having allies. We should be grateful for everything. But uh, man, uh, we're about to go into after show show, and I'm going to say what I want to say in that. Not not on here because I I mean it, it's just everything as the years go by, if they lied to the Vietnam vets and about Agent Orange for all these years and they knew about it six months later and then they lied to us when they knew it a year later for 35 years, I mean, for 30 plus years, I don't know if it's 35, but it feels like, you know, forever. What, you know, what else could they lie about? But right now, we're going to go into the after show, show everybody. I'm going to thank y'all for watching and we will see y'all next week. And by the way, Next week is the round table. There's either gonna be one of us wearing lipstick or there's gonna be a <laughs> buttload of army guys wearing lipstick on my show. So y'all have a <laughs> gr- <laughs> y'all have a great night and we All will right. see you next week.